Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. I invite you to take up your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel 9. This will be the last in our Second Samuel series for a while. We'll be taking a long summer break to explore Matthew and return, we trust, to Second Samuel in the fall and hopefully finish by Advent. Just yesterday, I took out the duct tape, applied it to my two maple trees in my yard to start catching the dreaded spotted lantern moth nymphs. These little creatures are easy to kill at this stage, small and helpless as they are, but we know that they will grow and mature and reproduce into the sap-sucking menaces that threaten our trees. It's only natural to remove things that threaten that which is dear to us. In our passage tonight, David goes against his base human nature, refusing to remove a rival and even going the extra mile to show kindness to the grandson of his enemy, Saul. In doing so, David demonstrates the kindness of God, who grants us redemption purchased by the Son of God. Please follow as I read 2 Samuel 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, or according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is God's word. Our gracious God and Father, I would ask this evening that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our great redeemer. Amen. Earlier this week, my wife found a small bird's nest in one of our hanging ferns out on the front porch. And she removed the nest, and then to our surprise, just two days later, we found a new nest with three little eggs inside. And we marveled at the industry of Mr. and Mrs. Sparrow, who quickly rebuilt their nest and reclaimed that precious real estate to raise up their young family high above, out of harm's way. And though their nest will hinder the fern from growing and complicate the watering process, we chose to show them kindness, these squatters, until they raise up their young brood who will not be so helpless and leave the nest. We just graduated our oldest son from college and can sympathize with these parents, busy with their brood, raising them up until they leave the nest. Kindness is something we can use more of in our day. We live in a world filled with anger and hatred for over things significant and trivial. And in such a world, we long for the kindness that is demonstrated deeply in the passage I just read. The Hebrew word hesed, oftentimes translated mercy or steadfast love, and here, kindness in verses 1, 3, and 7, speaks of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. And tonight, I want to unpack this attribute of God as we look at a kindness received, a kindness bestowed, and a kindness undeserved. First, a kindness received. Chapter 9 follows a string of David's military victories, establishing the security and peace of Israel. David's throne is firmly established, resting upon the promises he's received from God back in chapter 7, where God made with him an eternal covenant for him and his household. Rather than sit back at his leisure or be consumed with pleasure, which sadly will come soon enough in 2 Samuel, In this instance, David demonstrates gratitude as he seeks out one from the house of Saul to whom he may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. In the ancient world, it was custom for new regimes to kill off all the remaining males of the prior administration to eliminate any potential rivals to the throne. David does the opposite. Why? Well, he made a promise. David had made a covenant with Jonathan not to cut off his descendants. And Jonathan yielding his right to the throne, recognizing that it was God's will to make David 
king instead of him, though a worthy man that he was. David had pledged his faithfulness to Jonathan and to Jonathan's descendants. And David had made the same promise even to King Saul. You remember on the second occasion when David spared Saul's life. And at Saul's request, David confirmed that he would not cut off his descendants, even as Saul began to recognize that David would one day assume the throne. David was a man of his word. David also was a man who had received great kindness. Jonathan's Christ-like kindness and sacrifice to David was exemplary. On the occasion when David rose to prominence, defeating Goliath in battle, it was Jonathan who bestowed his armor on to David. When Saul, in a mad rage, sought to kill David, it was Jonathan who warned his friend and sent him off away to safety. And then at the risk of his own life, Jonathan, while his own father was in hot pursuit of David, Jonathan sought to encourage David's faith, finding him out in the wilderness. Jonathan traded places with David. He shielded David from his father's wrath. He laid aside his rights to the throne that David might reign. There's hardly a more Christ-like figure in all the Old Testament than Jonathan. And so David follows the godly example of his dear friend and offers the same kindness to Jonathan's son. David had made a commitment, a binding covenant. In an age of failed promises, broken contracts, high divorce and cohabitation rates, we need a reminder that we are called to be a people of commitment. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, says the Lord. Be a person of your word. Make vows and stick to them. Robert Redford famously told Meryl Streep in Out of Africa concerning marriage, I won't love you more because of a piece of paper. Redford's character was wrong. True love commits and yields to public accountability. Commentator Ralph, Del Ralph Davis says, love that truly loves is willing to bind itself. It's willing to promise, willingly and gladly obligates itself so that others may, another may stand securely in that love. Secondly, a kindness bestowed. A kindness received becomes a kindness bestowed. As David calls Ziba, the servant of Saul, to ask him if there's anyone left from the house of Saul. Now, Ziba did not know David's intent. Whether David was true and would show kindness or was acting deceitfully. A thousand years later, the Magi would not be fooled by King Herod's pretense to point him to the location of the Christ child, that he may come and worship him. Rulers have a long history of snuffing out rivals. 
But Ziba trusts David with the truth. David, having proven his integrity publicly and authentically, demonstrating his sadness and mourning and lament for Saul and Jonathan after their deaths, Ziba informs David that there is a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. This added detail was probably designed to evoke sympathy, to communicate that the risk of a coup was low from a man with a handicap. 2 Samuel 4 gives us the background, telling us that the tender age of five, Mephibosheth's father and grandfather were killed the same day in battle. And tragically, the nurse who took him in haste to flee The young boy fell, became lame in both feet. Sadly, the condition could not be fixed, lacking medical care, the damage done to his feet permanent, healing back in a twisted fashion. David presses further to determine the location of this son of Jonathan. It seems clear that his handlers had taken Mephibosheth to the Transjordan, far away for protection. And so from the far country, David summons the young man to his court. Mephibosheth comes, falls on his face, and pays homage. What else was he to do? He is powerless before the man whom his grandfather Saul had treated him as a transgressor and an enemy. But instead of striking out with vengeance, like Joseph with his brothers in Egypt, David shows kindness to Mephibosheth, offering him protection, provision, and position. Empathizing with the pitiful, paralyzed man before him, David assures him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I'll restore to you all the land of your father, and you shall eat at my table always. With one act of kindness, Mephibosheth moves from a precarious position to one of peace and protection. He will not be treated as an offender, but welcomed as a friend of the throne. He will enjoy the safety and security that God has established for his people. But not only will he have protection, he also will gain provision. David will not confiscate Saul's property, but he deeds it to Jonathan's son. He orders Ziba, the steward of the estate, to till the land to bring in its produce so that Mephibosheth and his family may eat and be well off. Now, Ziba was a man of wealth on his own right with 15 sons and 20 servants. And he would uphold the legacy of Saul and Jonathan right under King David's rule. Rather than hide away in obscurity, living on meager subsistence, Mephibosheth shall enjoy peace, prosperity, and public honor. But David's kindness was still not finished. David would not simply bid him farewell to live long and prosper far away from the king's court. No. Mephibosheth, sorry, Mephibosheth, it's hard to say over and over again. 
Mephibosheth, will eat at the king's table, to be treated royally as one of the king's son. David effectively adopts him as his own. So David not only pardons and provides, but promotes the son of Jonathan, who is no longer an enemy of a rival tribe, nor a threat to the throne, but a royal member of the king's household. Rather than heap upon him vengeance for the wrongs committed against him by Saul, and rather than neglect his obligation to his friend Jonathan, David shows steadfast love, even at his own cost and inconvenience. His actions will protect Mephibosheth from any attacks that the men of Judah who held a grudge against the household of Saul, any of those who would dismiss Mephibosheth from the king's court because he is lame will have to contend with the king whose word was firm in public. David's kindness challenges us to crucify our grudges against those who have hurt us, to keep our commitments even when they come at great cost, and to seek out those to whom we might show kindness. People who may be despised in the eyes of the world, but precious in the sight of God. People with disabilities. Those who are addicted, the the poor, the refugees, people who have been made lame by the afflictions of this world, who do not necessarily improve our social standing, but are worthy of such kindness. For two such people Jesus came to save is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Who will you show kindness to for Jesus' sake? How has your life been touched by the kindness of God? Romans chapter 2 says that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. No doubt you've had people who have been less than kind to you. Perhaps on occasion you have been less than kind to others. Let God's kindness fill you, overwhelm you, spill over unto others that you might show them the same kindness you have received from God. Thirdly, a kindness undeserved. In verse 8, Mephibosheth responds to David's kindness with these words, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth's self-deprecating hyperbole demonstrates that he is unworthy in his own mind to stand before the king to receive the king's favor. His is a kindness undeserved. And in his reaction, we see a mirror, a reflection of ourselves, a response that should humble us, reminding us that each of us are God's Mephibosheths. Lameness is a fitting picture of our own frailty and weakness before God. We are inadequate, unfit to stand in God's court, 
And yet the Father of compassion pities us and welcomes us to his table for the sake of Jesus. Rick Phillips, in his commentary, writes, The fall of his father's house, like his fall from his nurse's horse, hypothetically determined his life beyond any repair of his own. Like Mephibosheth, our father's house has fallen, and so are we, crippled beyond human repair. And like Mephibosheth, our inheritance is lost. We are far from the holy presence of God, alienated, condemned. And like this sad biblical figure, we have nothing to reverse our plight, to restore ourselves into God's favor. David could have left Mephibosheth alone. He was not a threat to him. And yet David honored his covenant by not killing him. He wasn't obligated to elevate Mephibosheth like one of the princes of Judah. And yet David was overwhelmed with God's mercy and grace to him. And moved by the Christ-likeness of Jonathan. And so couldn't bear to keep it all to himself. He gladly bestowed riches and glory on Jonathan's son. Like David, Jesus would not leave us to rot and die in a forgotten land. It wasn't even enough to merely pardon us, to let us be. No, the Lord Jesus came to seek us. He sought us, he bought us, and brought us home. He is the elder brother who went to the far country to claim the prodigal. Though we had disgraced his father's reputation and made ourselves enemies of the crown, the Lord Jesus came to take away our shame, to make peace with us by the cross, and compels us to come near, to feast at his table always. The Apostle Paul unpacks this truth so well in Romans 5 when he writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. David does more than pardon, more than accept fellowship from Jonathan's son. He grants him the status reserved only for his sons. Though he had feared that David's wrath would make him a prisoner, Mephibosheth instead received the grace of adoption that restored him as a prince. And like Mephibosheth, you and I are not only forgiven, spared the punishment we deserve, but receive the gift of sonship by way of adoption. As John writes in chapter 1 of his gospel, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Contrary to the common mis- Conception about biblical Christianity in our culture, God does not help those who help themselves. God saves the helpless, 
who acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy, their ineptitude, their inadequacy before him. God does not meet you halfway. He saves you the entire way through. It's hard to imagine Mephibosheth sometime later becoming entitled, grumpy and ungrateful. In fact, later we see him when David returns from the, at the failure of Absalom's coup. And though Mephibosheth had been betrayed by his servant Ziba, he comes out mourning from the castle, grateful for the king's return. May we repent of our entitlement. In gratitude and privileged attitudes, may we long for the king's return. You can imagine, imagine with me if you had a benefactor who rescued your family from great indebtedness, saved you out of severe poverty, helped you get your education and back on your feet again. And then someone came along and accuses your benefactor of being a harsh and ruthless man who slanders his good name. Would you not be zealous to defend your benefactor's honor? To testify his kindness in the public square, even take the witness stand if necessary. So it is for you and I who have the greatest benefactor the world has ever known, who have been shown the greatest kindness imaginable. And so if you struggle with kindness, with showing generosity towards others, perhaps we should take more time to consider that which from you have been saved. Consider the depths of your own spiritual poverty, the utter helplessness of your estate without Christ. Jesus said, whoever is forgiven much, loves much. And so may the God of kindness fill you through and through. That your cup may run over like a life-giving spring of hesed, God's steadfast love that endures forever. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, we are indeed grateful for your kindness, your mercy, and your steadfast love for sending your Son for redeeming us from our sin and eternal punishment that we might have forgiveness, pardon, acceptance, and fellowship to eat at your table forever and ever. We praise you. We give you the glory. And may we walk in that hope. And may we be testimonies to your kindness and mercy before a watching world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.